0: Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. How we're doing today? It's good to be here. It really, really is. I was sitting over there doing a little worship goodness, and I just thought I'm, I'm just so joyful to be here with you guys today. Um, we're going to start a new series. It's just a little two-week interlude before we get to the Christmas stuff, but before we get there, this is the time I had marked out a year ago to guilt and shame our people and to bring you more stuff. I really look forward to this Sunday every year. I get to exercise a lot of baggage I have as a son of a Catholic woman. It's fantastic, but... I was told this morning that we're doing a great job, um, and, and we've done so well this week bringing in stuff that I was told not to guilt and shame people, so good luck to my wife this afternoon. It's got to go somewhere, okay? <laughs> um, but really, hey, we had a really good week, and people brought a lot, of, a lot of stuff in for love packs. We don't know what we have quite yet, so if you're online and you're looking at the totals on the intrawebs, they're not accurate. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to count... Everything tomorrow morning because people brought in tons of stuff today and then tomorrow afternoon We're gonna have a tally and if there's anything else we need we're gonna post it So if you want to continue to help and you should Look tomorrow (laughs) afternoon and then make a Costco run or two or five and bring in some stuff And our last drop-off date is on Tuesday So in two weeks from today we can get together and make some boxes So kids can eat over Christmas and they know that Jesus is good and he loves them sounds good cool, man. All right. Hey, well, before we get going, like every Sunday at CBC, we we want to come into this place and, and reset our priorities and reset kind of how we're conditioned culturally. We live in a world that is incredibly, incredibly critical. Uh, often stems from a, a sense of either in, insecurity or pride, one of the two. And, and we come to this place knowing full well that God is here and that God is speaking to us and that God is good. And so that that challenges the critical culture we bring into this place, and and what we want to do is set that down for the next few minutes and say, God, how are you forming me? How are you teaching me? How are you showing me your goodness? And so today, like we said last week, we read and listen with highlighters, not Sharpies. We, we, We look for the places that God is speaking to us today. And so we're just going to take a minute, and we're going to pray. I'm going to ask that you ask the Spirit to speak this morning, and you pray for me as we talk about the idea of blessing in the Scriptures. So let's pray. God, I'm thankful to be here with God's people, to remember that there's things bigger than us that are better than us, that can carry the weight of our worship uh, more than we can. So just may today be a day of worship that we see the goodness of God. That's it. As we open the scriptures, give us clarity. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your divine writings. I'd ask if you're comfortable, just take a few seconds and, and pray and ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to your spirit this morning, that he might clearly teach you, show you the goodness of God. i ask that you pray for me, that God uses the preparation um, just to to show us more of not a person but the person of God, and and His bigness and the beauty of His gospel through this theme of of blessing this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said. Amen. We're in an interesting time of year culturally where everybody acts like Christmas is here, but it's at least one big holiday away, right? Have you guys seen the calendar so far where it's two months, November and December, and everything but two days is circled and it says Christmas is everything else and the two days of Thanksgiving and after are Thanksgiving. We fight it. I walk into every store with my three-year-old daughter and she says Christmas is here and I have to say to her, no, that is not true. There's a holiday in between, and it's very important. And I say, Eleanor, what is that holiday? And she says, November. And I say, no. <laughs> she can't even, we've done this at least a dozen times. We live in a world that, that, that so often looks forward to Christmas because we're a consumer-driven economy. And I've, I've read the things that say it's going to be a big fourth quarter Christmas. Order your stuff now or good luck getting it next Christmas, you know. And it goes back to this idea of what it means in our life and culture to be blessed. And so today and next week, what I want to do is talk through the idea of what it means to be blessed. Being blessed is one of those Christianese words, you know, those words that kind of rattle around in the Christian subculture. I have a lot of pet peeves, but one of them is Christian subculture words, you know, like everything, there's a season, 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 or I had a guy in college that kept asking me how my spirit was, you know? Um, th- another one for me is just the word friend in churches. I'm gonna sound really callous, I'm not trying to. I, I want to be friends with a lot of people, but if you're on a stage and you look at me and say, hey friend, I'm not your friend, you don't, you don't know me, you know? I was at a conference a few years ago, and it's in the morning time, And, and I'm not, you know, I like coffee in the morning and and space and the speaker gets up there and says, Hey friends, how are we this morning? Just turn to the guy next to you and just give them a hug and say, Jesus loves you. So, so I'm a pastor and this man turns to me like this and I look at him, I said, not going to happen, buddy. Not going to happen. He just looked at me like I shot his dog and I said, I'll give you a handshake, but I don't know you and it's 9am. All right. This idea, this word blessing is one of those words that that we say it so often and it's used in so many different situations. It seemingly lost all meaning. And it's not just in the Christian world. There's an article in the New York Times in 2014 that talked about the meteoric rise in the term blessing that got co-opted, not just from the Jesus people, but all people because of social media. If you go on Instagram right now, I did it this morning, and you, you, you search hashtag blessings, there's 149 million posts that pop up, right? This idea that we live in this world where seemingly blessing is thrown around so often, sometimes it dilutes the definition that God gave it in the first place. From either I have all the stuff that I want and need, or now it's kind of turned into some kind of version of satire on itself. Like, you know, one mom, two kids at home, both sick, blessed, you know, that kind of sort of thing. And so what I want to do today, as we enter into the season of, see what I did there? As we enter into the season of talking about what it looks like to receive, to reset our definitions of, to, to, to re-look at what God says about blessing, because it's really important. Because so often, people see the goodness of God through a God that blesses people. And if we don't define blessing well, then maybe either, A, we miss part of God's goodness, or two, we misdefine God himself and how he cares for us. So we're going to do that this morning by looking at two primary verses, and they're in the beginning of the New Testament and the beginning of the Old Testament. We'll start with the Old. There's four words in the Greek and Hebrew, two in the Hebrew, two in the Greek, that's translated bless in the English language. And the first time we see it is in Genesis 1, very popular verse. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The word blessed is used over 400 times in the scripture. It is a theme running throughout. And what you see is in the Old Testament, a kind of blessing that happens. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament and broadens and widens the definition of what blessing is. And in the Old Testament, it starts. It starts with the story we've told our kids, I don't know how many times, of God creating the world. And one of my favorite analogies when we talk about creation is my buddy said, it's kind of like when you have a kid and you build a nursery. And he said, you, you wait and you wait and you wait and you build and you build and you build expectantly because the thing you love the most in the world is about to show up. And so for five days, God built and he spoke and he built and he spoke and he built and he spoke. And then finally on the sixth day, he said, this thing that I love more than all the other things is going to show up. And he said, he made man and he made woman in his own image, the only thing that was. And he said to them, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply you got to ask, what does it mean when it said blessed there? If you go back to the verse before, it says God said, let's make man in our own image, in our own likeness. That that word blessed there in the Hebrew is the word barak. And the word barak literally means to kneel. It indicates a relationship between man who adores God by kneeling and then uh, a God who benefits man because he's in his presence. It has nothing to do with getting something. It has everything to do with being with someone else. When the Hebrew talks about being blessed, it's literally kneeling in the presence of someone whom you adore. On November 2nd, 2014, I, I remember, because every year it's in my calendar. I'm not kidding. Um, every year, Apple tells me that it's the engagement of my anniversary. So on November 2nd, I looked down at my phone, and I was like, Sarah, do you know today's our engagement of our anniversary? I would never forget. Meaningful, you know? And I did a lot of holy lying to Sarah. Lots of holy lying. And we flipped to New York City. You know, my buddy's rooftop with a bunch of candles just so I couldn't be outdone by anybody else. I looked there and said, Well, this is gonna happen. <laughs> and then I got down on knee and I said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And that that's kind of what you see here, is you adore something so much, you sit in their presence and say, Be with me. That's what happens when you get engaged. You sit in their presence and say, Go with me from here on out. That's the Hebrew gets to it when it talks about blessing. When it says in Genesis 1 that God blessed them, it's because he already created a space and an environment where they could flourish together. It wasn't simply give me more. He'd already done that. What he said was, I'm going to make you in my image so that we might live in harmony together. That's what the idea of blessing in the Hebrew begins with. Blessing doesn't begin with what you get. Blessing begins with presence. So if we're going to redefine blessing, we have to start by saying being blessed is being over having. Because we live in a world where hashtag blessed is all about what you get. But the Bible starts with this idea that, sure, there's an indication or an inclination about having things and being blessed. But the beginning of blessing is simply understanding that we kneel in the presence of something we adore, God. So it says, Adam and Eve were blessed because they knelt in the presence of God. I love what one author said. To be blessed is to experience the full impact of God's presence in our lives now and for all eternity. So we recenter our definition of being blessed, not just about having something, but about being with someone. This centeredness around the presence of God, that's how it began in the very first place when God said, this is what blessing looks like. But then if you keep reading, he says to them as he blessed them, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that is on the ground. And this is my favorite part of the creation mandate. It's not simply that God is good, that God loves you, that God created you. but the, God created us to, to mirror his goodness as we ruled the world that he gave us. That word rule there simply means to show people the goodness of God through how we live, act and function so that we all flourish together. So so God says, I'm going to bless you by being in your presence. And then you're going to take that and you're going to show everybody else the goodness of God through how you're in their presence. So the Hebrew word for blessed that we see is barak. There's two uh, Greek words for it as well. And there's something called the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek interpretation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And the word that's used in the Greek Septuagint here is eugelo, and it comes from literally good and then uh, logos word. It's where we get the idea of eulogy from, right? And the whole point of that is I'm going to say a good thing or pass on a good word so that the influence of the person that I knew might be felt by all. And so when he talks about the blessing in the first in, in, in Adam and Eve, and the first time we see blessing, it's, it's this relationship between God being present and us carrying out that presentness with those people that we come in contact with. This is what's different about blessing in the scriptures. It's not just about what you get. It's also about how you give it away. Blessing is not just about getting. It's giving over giving. Because blessing was never supposed to culminate on any one person. You know that? The blessing of God is made bigger because it has outlets outside of you. And so in our culture, in our world, I feel like we've defined blessing. I have something, I have something, I am blessed. The biblical definition of blessing seemingly takes it a step farther and says I am blessed because God is with me and that presence funnels out into other places in my world. It's never supposed to culminate on me. The idea of blessing is bigger than me. It's why God created in the first place. It's the overflow of his goodness, of his presence, and of his love under the canvas of creation. It goes forward. True biblical blessing is passed on by the people of God. I read a study that came out this year, and it's from Princeton University, and it basically says that uh, if you don't have kids, you are no less happy when you get older. And I thought that's four years too late. Everybody. Um, uh, they came out and they said literally that that parents aren't more happy, but it's a deeper level of feeling. He says, "quote I love this." The person that ran the study said, "Life without children is simply much more stable." <laughs> no kidding, you know. And and the whole point of the article was talking about, you know, should you have kids, should you not? But what it did say was that you might not be happier at the end, but people mostly, healthy parents, have kids because they want to pass on goodness. If if you have kids because you think it's going to make you a better you, you're going to get six months in and realize, man, this is not working out for me. Having kids is simply the idea that the blessings that God gives us goes outside of us, whether you choose to or not. The biblical idea of blessing can't culminate on one individual or person, but it extends beyond the people and says, the point of blessing is to bring the presence of God and the goodness of God to other spaces and places in the world. It starts with Adam. That's how God designed it. So real quick, I want to take a small sidestep and say this is a really important topic and nuance. Because I think we live in a culture where blessing culminates on the person that is blessed, and we have to fight that. Because the way that we show people God is good is we pass on the blessings of God as the people of God. I, I think so often, I sat with somebody last week and they were sitting talking about the question that's hard for everybody is, if God is so good, why is there so much bad in this world? And I, and I looked at her and I said, hey, here's the deal. I think, I think we don't have a provision problem. I think we have a distribution problem in this world. I think that God has provided and he cares and he loves us because if you believe that we have a provision problem in this world, then God is not good and God is not big and God is not able to solve, fix, heal, redeem, restore. If you believe we have a distribution problem, then the problem in the supply chain isn't God, it's us. Let me give you an example. For example, let's look at hunger. So for example, most averages would say that, that every single day it's going to be about 20-ish thousand people that suffer from malnourishment or starve. But at the same time, for the past two decades, the rate of global food production has increased faster than the rate of the global population growth. The world already produces more than one and a half times enough food to feed everyone on this planet. We don't have a production problem, God is good, we have a distribution problem. You guys see what happened with Elon Musk last week? So one of the directors of the UN World Food Program tweeted at Elon Musk, and he said, If I had uh, $6 billion, 2% of your net worth, I could solve hunger this year, and you'd save 42 million lives, right? He's saying, we have a problem, we don't have enough, and Elon Musk tweeted back, in the same day, and he said, you show me how you're going to get it done, and I'll give you the money right now, right? They're still waiting on the solution, (laughs) We don't have a problem with provision. We have a problem with distribution. That's why God said to the church from the beginning of time when it first started created, from Adam to the church now, he said, you are going to be the distribution of my goodness. This is how you rule and reign. This is how you pass on the goodness of God to the people in the world. So they might see the goodness of God when we talk about blessing. We have to define it through the lens of the presence of God that leads to good things It's passed on by the people of God that doesn't culminate on individuals, but calls us up into the greater purpose of God's redemption. That's what it means when we talk about blessing in a biblical sense. One author said, God's good gifts should not satisfy our desire for blessing but rather draw us up into a larger vision of God's good plan for all his people. That's why social justice matters. That's why love packs matters. (laughs) That's why we do charitable work all around the world. That's why the church is hopefully known for that, because in doing that, people believe that God is good. And in the Old Testament, really when you look at the Old Testament definition of blessing, we're just picking the first time we see it in both of the Testaments because it's over 400 times it's mentioned and we're not going to be here all day, right? Um, but but every time you see it in the Old Testament, there is a tie to blessing and stuff. There's a tie to blessing and material goodness. If you look at the story of Israel, when Israel was blessed, they had more food in the warehouses, When Israel was blessed, they had more power. When Israel was blessed, they had more money. When Israel was blessed, they had more fill in the blank. When Israel was blessed, they had more. And it's a very Old Testament thought to say that blessing is tied to stuff. That's true. God blesses by giving us good, good things. That's who he is and that's what he does. And so as we read through the Old Testament, we battle with this idea that kind of comes in line with our idea of blessing, that God is good and that blessing leads to good things. And that's true. We have to look at it and say that blessing is being over having and it can't culminate in us, it's giving over getting and then Jesus pops on the scene and he takes the idea of blessing just one step farther. There's a book called The History of American Prosperity Gospel. Kate Bowler writes it and she cites a Pew study indicating that 43% of all Christian respondents agree that the faithful receive health and wealth. I think this is kind of where The biblical definition, it's already broken a little bit, but really veers right of the worldly definition of blessing. Is what happens if, and is God still blessing if, I don't get what I want or I don't have as much as, fill in the blank. What if blessing isn't tied all the way into material gain? That's what Jesus comes in and says. Because fundamentally what we're dealing with is the question, most all these conversations, right, is a question of is God good? And is God good enough for me? And can God provide for me? And if we fall into the trap of defining blessing as stuff, then when we don't have it, God's not good enough. But what Jesus did was he came along, and he had a whole new definition of what blessing was. Here's the first time we see it in the New Testament. You know the verse as well. It's in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Makaros here, we see a new word for blessed that goes beyond just happiness. We we see what Jesus does is he takes this idea in the Old Testament of blessing being getting stuff because God is present in your life, which is good. And he says, but it's more than that. Because when the stuff goes away, you think God does. That's not true. And so he starts to define the idea of blessing here as something that goes beyond the accumulation of or the benefits of having I think when you look at those words in a broad scope like we just did in Matthew 5, what should hit you, what hits me is just how upside down Jesus' code of good is. Especially in the first century world where their ethics in life was power and their ethic in life was was strength. To sit there and say that those who mourn are going to be comforted and those who are persecuted are actually going to be happier, that is a radical statement that people didn't understand whether you were Jewish or Roman or Greek. And so he comes along and he says, this idea of blessing that you have is not a full definition of blessing. And so often, as Americans, we need to remember that because we live in a culture that defines blessing as the accumulation of stuff, but so often across the world, Christians aren't afforded that luxury or liberty. So Jesus is writing to a people that are gonna be persecuted, and he says, when that happens, understand that doesn't mean that God's not blessing you anymore. It doesn't mean that God's blessing is going away. So often, we get so myopic in our view on what something is because all we see is Highland Village and Flower Mound in the United States and fill in the blank that we miss. Big picture things. Just in the last year, uh, over 340 million Christians lived in a place where they were persecuted. 4,700 were killed for their faith. 4,500 Christian buildings were attacked, and 4,300 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. If you're going to broaden your definition of blessing beyond just the material, it's important to realize that God's still with us when the material isn't there. That's what Jesus came to say. It's a good reminder for us living in a culture so steeped in stuff that our definition of blessing... Tied to our understanding of God isn't also tied to the stuff that we might have or might not have. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And, And you see that in the Old Testament too, right? You see these narratives working through. That word there in the Greek is this long standing belief or happiness because you know who God is, because you live in His presence, not because of what He's done for you right here and right now. And so, like in the Old Testament, you have people that had all the stuff in the world and they were miserable. Solomon's a great example. Most net worth estimators, I don't know how they do this, but they put his net worth today at like $2.1 trillion, richest guy that ever lived. And in one of his books, he said, nothing's worth it in the world anymore. (laughs) You have the rich young ruler that came to Jesus in the Gospels, and he says, I have all this stuff. What else do I need to do? And he said, sell all your stuff. And the guy said, yeah, I don't know. I really like my stuff. I don't think I can. This idea that even though we have, we're not fully satisfied or with with what God has given us. And so blessing is being over having. It's giving over getting. And this is the last one. It's satisfied over satiated. Let me parse that out for us a little bit. I think when we use that term, we think that one of the definitions of blessing is to have everything we want and need, especially materially. And so I think we're a culture that lives to be satiated with stuff. Uh, I think if you look at just some stats on how much stuff we have, the average American household, this is from the LA Times, has over 300,000 items in it, right? You might say that sounds like a lot, but count your spoons at some point. You know, it's going to add up over time. British research found that the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, but plays with just 12, right? Merry Christmas. Uh, 3.1% of the world's children live in America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed globally. Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods, because they don't need. But more than ever before, we're unhappy. Suicide rates are up, and we feel less inclined to feel good about life. Because if we limit the idea of blessing to stuff, we miss the idea of what blessing is in, in how God defines it. And so what he's going to do is say blessing is more than just what you get. Jesus says it's, it's an underlying joy, knowing full well that God is for us because we, we have a relationship with him. And it says no matter what we do then and where we go, we can be a blessed person. Psalm 1, I parses it out. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. I think fundamentally this is the difference in how God defines blessing and how we do. Being blessed is simply to be satisfied in who God is. So in the psalm, he's defining what a blessed person is. He said a blessed person is not about hanging out with X, Y, and Z people. It's about finding and being satisfied in the good things of God. In the Psalms it's going to be the word or the law of the Lord because the law of the Lord was the goodness of God manifest in the Old Testament. So what is a blessed person? It's someone who values presence. It's someone who values giving. It's someone who is simply satisfied with God, full stop. Simply satisfied with God. And in a culture that seemingly defines blessing as the next good thing that comes to me, the scriptures say that's not an apt reflection of the goodness of God. It's cheap. So to be blessed is anything God gives that makes us fully satisfied in Him. And sometimes it's good things, and sometimes it's bad things. Sometimes it's addition by subtraction. So last night, I um, hung out with some friends, and I entered into a a chili cook-off. I've entered into one chili cook-off in my life. I want it. Um, that's right. <laughs> all right. Right now, I, I don't have a kitchen. Uh, there's actually it get filled in. We're doing some all rental stuff. So I'm living on a slab. It's all taped off. I have no ovens. I have no burners. I have, no, I have an Instapot. I don't even know how to use the thing, you know? And so uh, our house is just quite a bit chaotic. I'm still sleeping on a mattress on the floor. We're just doing a house remodel upgrade thing because life was too easy. And <clears throat> And so I I entered this chili cook-off last night, and uh, I won a prize. Yep, I did. I got the prize that was the wimpiest chili that was entered. They gave me a mug. (laughs) I'm still wrestling with that a little bit, guys. It's a blow to the pride. My point is simply, you know, living through a remodel in the last three months or so. I can't say that I have more stuff. It's in my garage. Sure I do. I can't say... I can say that what this has caused me to do is be more satisfied with who God is, regardless of what my kitchen looks like, regardless of whether, you know, fill-in-the-blank happens in my house, regardless of stuff. A a, a true depiction of a blessed person sees past the stuff and is satisfied with God in the middle of whatever's going on. Because we're going to enter into Christmas. You're going to have lists, and we're going to get stuff, and I think it's really important for us to remember as followers of Jesus that to be blessed is to be satisfied by God and spread it to others. That's it. Because our culture is obsessed with saying the word blessed and being blessed and getting more stuff. And we're coming into the season where that's emphasized more often than ever before. And so we as a people, we as a church fight back and say that's not what being blessed really is. If you want to be blessed, be satisfied with God. And if you get what you want for Christmas, God is still good. He's really good. But this idea that as a church, we rise up in this moment and say, let me tell you what it looks like to be blessed in this season of blessedness. Knowing God. In finding that He is my satisfaction, so if we're going to be a blessed person, I think a couple of things. You know, we talk about it being present. It's just find where God is present for you. And for some people, that's different places than others. For most people, that's the mountains. I heard the the Mound of Flower Mountains lovely this time of year. All right, find where God is present for you. I think more than that, you can. Give something away. Again, I think good, true, holistic blessing from God always culminates not in me, but in me giving blessing away. So if we're hoarding things and not giving things, I don't think we experience the true blessing of God, the full blessing of God. And then finally, I simply ask the question what makes you satisfied with God? What is that? It could be your kids, it could be the scriptures. I hope it's the scriptures. It could be a lot of different things. Find those questions. And maybe in digging a little bit, we find out that what satisfies us isn't God. Then we do some real We talk to friends and family. We pray and we reset and realize that God defines what blessed is. And he defines it as being satisfied with him so that we might spread that satisfaction to those around us. Because now more than ever, we need to take the definition back from everybody else say that we are a blessed people and this is what it means. Let me pray for us. God, you're so good, like we sang. I pray that today we're encouraged because we know that we have been blessed by God. Today we're encouraged because we know that blessing has to do with the presence of God that lead to good things in our life and our ability to give those away to others as God gave to us. And then finally, just an understanding that it leads to this ultimate satisfaction in who you are. So God, my prayer today is may we be satisfied in you. Do that for us this morning, Spirit. Give us a satisfaction that comes only from knowing the goodness of God. And then might we say with one loud voice, we're a blessed people. So I pray that as life picks up and we head full steam towards Christmas, we keep in mind what it means to be a blessing. As we pack boxes up here in a couple weeks and send them out in our community, I pray we remember what it's like to be a blessing. So that people might see the goodness of God that never goes away.